if you're going to use sustainability as a selling point, you need to make sure that it reflects everything you do every day. In other words, it shouldn't just be a marketing message. It should be part of your brand essence. Welcome to Scent Slice Bread. I'm your host, Charlotte Ashley, editor of Baking and Snack. As we kick off 2021 and look to the future, we wanted to revisit a topic that had a lot of momentum going into 2020, but may have been derailed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Sustainability. In this season, you'll hear about how sustainability is trending with consumers and how you can incorporate it into your operations. But first, we welcome Jack Bobo, CEO of Futurity, a food foresight company that helps brands get ahead of the trends. As a food futurist, Jack shares why food companies should care about sustainability, how this can shape the future of food, and how to give consumers what they need, as well as what they want. Welcome to Scent Slice Bread, Jack. Thank you for having me. So our first season of 2021 is all about wholesale bakery and snack manufacturers who are committed to sustainability. Why should food companies care about sustainability in the first place? Well, I think there are three reasons. Uh, one is I think it's the right thing to do, that our environment is something that we're leaving to our children, and we should all care about that. Uh, two, more and more shareholders care a lot about whether or not companies are focused on it because it's a risk to operations. And three, consumers are also very concerned about these issues. And so it's a way of connecting with the values of the consumer. So thinking about consumers and this being important to them, what does sustainability mean to consumers? And then I'm also curious, what does it mean to the food companies themselves? Is it different between the two or does it kind of align? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question. We all talk about sustainability and, you know, I think we all think it's, it's one word. And so we all know the definition. In my experience, for many consumers, when they think about sustainability, they think about local sustainability using less fertilizer, less water, less insecticides, and that will make a cleaner environment. But for many companies, they're operating on a global scale. And so when they think about sustainability, they're thinking about, if I can do things more intensively, in other words, use less land, less water to produce the same amount of food, then I'm actually protecting forest in some other country because we don't have to grow as many crops there if we're growing more here. And so it's this difference between local sustainability and global sustainability. Now, they're both very important. They're just two ends of the spectrum. But there are trade-offs. And if consumers are focused on using less water, insecticides, and fertilizer, that means you don't grow as much food. And that could end up putting pressure on forests someplace else, which consumers actually also care about. And so this can lead to, to challenges because they may not understand the sustainability programs companies put into place because they're not necessarily meeting the needs that they have in their heads. It kind of sounds like both local and global sustainability initiatives are important and effective, but that consumers really need some education on how we can look at sustainability holistically and kind of the, what those trade-offs are. Absolutely. Yeah. And for companies, I think this is important because many of the things they're doing, they're not really getting credit for them from the consumer because the consumer right. doesn't appreciate that they're actually contributing to sustainability. Definitely. I definitely see that. And when I look at the priorities of our listeners, sustainability 
programs, I often wonder, do consumers even know this is happening? Because it's not very marketable what their sustainability programs are focused on sometimes. Well, yeah. And what I think is interesting is that, you know, companies are wildly more efficient and productive today than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. And so, you know, we often think of sustainability as a destination, but really sustainability is a journey. And companies have actually been on this journey for decades. It's actually only recently that consumers have sort of joined them on the sustainability journey. And so sometimes it seems like the public is pushing companies, but the companies have actually been doing a lot. They just haven't been communicating it to the public because it wasn't the value that they particularly cared about in the past. So when looking at how consumers define sustainability, is there anything that that is surprising to the industry that we, um, like, for example, maybe something we might assume we should focus on, but consumers actually don't care that much about? Well, yeah. So I think that when companies think about sustainability, they're looking at their entire supply chain. How can we make our entire industry more sustainable? But for consumers, they tend to think about the sustainability of the specific product at the point of intersection with the consumer. And so for, you know, baking goods company, you know, it may be the, you know, how it's wrapped, you know, the container that it's in, as opposed to the amount of energy that went into it, uh, you know, where did they source their ingredients? Now, consumers may or may not care. So the further away it gets from the consumer, you know, the the less likely the consumer is to be focused on it. And yet the biggest impact on sustainability, you know, is probably, you know, the further away from the consumer you get, the bigger your impact is going to be. Right, exactly. Because I think about reducing energy is such a huge initiative in the baking and snack industries because it, one, has such a great impact on sustainability and also cost savings and production savings. But that's something that I often see bakeries focused on, which is great, and I don't think they should stop focusing on it, but something that I often don't see communicated to the consumer. And I wondered if the consumer would even respond to that. Well, it's actually kind of tricky because, you know, if consumers are not worried about energy consumption in an industry, uh, first you have to inform them about how bad the problem is before you can inform them about how good a job you're doing. And so, you know, what they will they may come out of that conversation realizing is, wow, I didn't know how bad <laughs> the sector was, you know, in terms of energy. So, so I do think that, you know, one has to be careful about how one does it. Um, so it's, it's often, you know, better to make sure that your messaging is aligned with, you know, issues that are coming up. You know, if, if energy is a hot button topic at the moment, well, maybe you, you actually take advantage of that in your social media and other things to talk about what you're doing on that topic. And rather than sort of push it out there when there's no hook, you know, in the public to get it, uh, get attention. I know we talk about sustainability has a wide reaching definition. There's the energy consumption, there's packaging and eliminating plastics and all of that from landfills. And then there's also um, food waste is tied up in that water reduction. How do food companies need to look at sustainability more holistically? Or maybe they're already doing a good job at that. I don't know. Well, I I think many companies are already doing a good job. I think that when companies start thinking about communicating to the public, though, companies that choose to sort of sell their sustainability story, you know, often they're trying to sell that story based on just one or two dimensions. You know, we, we have sustainable packaging and, you know, that's what they market to the consumer. And 
what I encourage companies to do is, you know, if you're going to use sustainability as a selling point, you need to make sure that it reflects everything you do every day. In other words, it shouldn't just be a marketing message. It should be part of your brand essence. And so, you know, you need to be going above and beyond, not just in the packaging, but in the water and energy and waste and all those other areas as well. Because at some point, consumers are going to ask tough questions and you just want to make sure that, you know, you have the information to back up whatever that claim might be. In our coverage of sustainability in baking and snack and bakingbusiness.com, we have seen exactly what Jack is talking about here. Baking and snack companies have not been sleeping on the sustainability issue. Look at the biggest companies, Grupo Bimbo, Flowers Foods, Kellogg, Mondelez, the list goes on. And you'll find robust, forward-thinking sustainability programs that deal with everything from regenerative agriculture to recycled packaging. Smaller companies like Simple Mills and Quinn Snacks don't ignore the issue either, often making sustainability a core value even though they may not have as many resources. The issue is that unless it's part of a brand's identity, consumers often don't know that these programs are happening. Do you think there's anything food companies are overlooking when it comes to sustainability? Maybe something they're missing? Well, I think that, you know, it it does come down to that messaging. One needs to be really aware of, you know, the nuances of what the consumer is actually asking for and making sure that you're, you know, meeting their need. And then two, to make sure that you're informing the consumer so that, you know, they have a better understanding of what it is you're doing as well so that you can shape what they're asking for. You know, that's the challenge that we have between the local and global is that, you know, many companies will sort of just, you know, take whatever the consumer wants. The consumer says, we want more regenerative agriculture. And and their response is, sure, you know, we'll push for regenerative and we'll tell our farmers to produce food in that way. And, you know, they may end up contributing to global deforestation, but they're meeting that consumer need. And I think that's a short-term thinking that, you know, you need to think about not just what does the consumer ask for, but what does the consumer need? So that you're you're a real partner in helping them achieve their goals, not just, you know, achieve what they think their goal is. Because, you know, companies are a lot more sophisticated and understand the global implications of choices, you know, more than your average consumer. So shifting gears a little bit, we definitely, um, sustainability was definitely a hot topic in 2019 for several years. It's something... Um, we cover a lot. And then 2020 happened and the COVID-19 pandemic kind of just shook everything up, including the food industry. How has the pandemic impacted sustainability from a consumer standpoint? Is it still a priority? Is it more of a priority or is it changing? Um, I think it's changing. I think it remains a priority, but how consumers define sustainability is likely to change. Now, when you ask consumers, you know, what does sustainability mean or, you know, what's an environmental benefit, you sometimes end up getting, you know, some strange answers to these questions. Uh, You know, consumers want, you know, fewer insecticides on their food, but they also want to, you know, increase yields. They they want their food to be long lasting, but they don't want preservatives. And so... You know, we have these these real challenges. So I think coming out of the, the current pandemic, you know, one needs to look at what are some of the megatrends that, you know, have changed. And, 
some of those, I think, benefit uh, products like you know baked goods, which is that you know consumers they're going to become more cautious because they just don't know what the future holds. And when we become more cautious, you know, we tend to revert to the things that create comfort. And I think, you know, baking goods are, are certainly one of those. And they're going to be less focused on sort of high tech solutions to sustainability and look at some more simple, straightforward aspects of sustainability. But they also may define sustainability in ways that, you know, maybe you and I wouldn't think it's really, you know, about sustainability. So, you know, it's, it's good to sort of follow the, to look beneath the labels, you know, people may respond to a survey and say that, you know, 70% of consumers are concerned about sustainability, but when you start to scratch the surface, you know, it could be things like affordability is part of their definition of sustainability. And you need to understand what they really mean when they use these words. And what I find is that you know, often what you end up with is that, you know, there are two types of consumer. You know, one consumer, when they say sustainability, they mean, you know, something that's better for the planet. And another, they mean, you know, food that's more affordable for me. And, you know, those are probably just two different consumers. And, you know, you need to be able to speak to both of them. Definitely. And then what does it even mean to say be better for the planet? That can be so many <laughs> different things. Um, how do you get to that nuance, though? How do, how do we find the nuance and the consumer perspective? Well, I think, you know, each company and each industry is going to do it in a slightly different way. Consumers have different expectations of different industries. And so, you know, some industries are going to make it easier to lead and others, you know, are going to be able to follow. And so I think, you know, one just needs to really understand, you know, what is our relationship to the consumer? Another is that there's a difference in how consumers look at startup brands versus established brands. And so the expectations of the incumbents are, you know, generally dramatically higher than it is for startups. And, you know, in many ways, uh, you know, young companies get a pass on a lot, a lot of these issues. You know, all they have to do is say, we're a sustainable company or we're a company that cares. And, you know, consumers will, will love that brand. On the other hand, you know, uh, an established brand, you know, is, is doing, you know, a hundred things that, you know, clearly demonstrate their sustainability and, you know, their productivity is wildly better than these startups. And yet, you know, it's never going to be good enough. And so, you know, just understanding, you know, that as companies scale, the relationship to the consumer changes and that's inevitable. Thank you for listening to Sense Slice Bread. We know that you need all the insight and data on the pandemic that you can get. So Baking and Snack has partnered with Cypress Research and the American Bakers Association to bring you the results of a third COVID-19 industry pulse survey. On Tuesday, February 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern, Marjorie Helmer, president of Cypress Research, will be sharing her insights into this data in a webinar sponsored by LaSaf and Red Yeast Company. Be sure to register by visiting AmericanBakers.org. But first, let's get back to the conversation. So looking at the future of the food industry because we and the food system itself, because we know that it kind of feels like we're at a tipping point with it, that it needs to change. How do you think sustainability is going to influence the future of the food industry and the food system? Well, you know, it, it's pulling in different ways. And I think, you know, a, a good example is, 
if you look at 2019, the biggest diet trend was clean eating, which is all about simple ingredients and you know whole foods. But the biggest IPO of 2019 was Beyond Foods, which is ultra processed you know uh, products. And so you know there's a there's a case to be made that you know each of those trends is about sustainability. Um, but one is about local and one is about global. And so there's, there's this opportunity in both places. Um, I think baked goods are an interesting one because, you know, it's both a processed product, but it's one that feels like a clean label product um, because it's simple ingredients and it's, it's comfort. You know, comfort foods always feel, you know, like clean eating, no matter how many ingredients they have. And so, you know, it's one of those few products that sort of can easily slip back and forth between, you know, two important trends. So what do you think the food system of the future looks like? <laughs> well, uh, you know, as a food futurist, uh, one of the things that we don't do is predict the future. What we like to do, actually, is we like to think about, you know, what are the trends that are all around us today? Uh, we like to look around for what we call signals which are, you know, interesting developments that could come could become something someday. And and then instead of trying to figure out what's going to happen next week or next month, we actually look out, you know, 10 or 20 years and because if you start thinking about well what's going to be next, you're immediately trying to narrow the future into what the most likely future you think it's going to be. So you start with this narrowing process. But what's helpful when you're thinking about the future is actually to think about the future and all the possibilities. Because there isn't just one possible future. There's a possible future in which plant-based foods, you know, dominate the market. There's one in which they sputter and, you know, kind of die out. Um, there are lots of possible or probable futures in which there's a role for animal agriculture as well as uh, plant-based. And so, you know, what a company or an industry should do is that they should do that uh, future scanning and think, well, what's the best possible future for us as an organization or for us as a planet? What's our preferred future? And then once you figure that out, then sort of work it backwards. Because the idea is to have clarity about where you're going, but to have flexibility about how you're going to get there. And, you know, futurist Bob uh, Johansson always says that, you know, the future rewards clarity and punishes certainty. And that's because if you're really certain about what's going to happen, you know, events are going to change and you're not going to be as flexible about how to find a new route to get it where it is you're going. And so having flexibility about how you get there is going to be key and it's going to be a key skill for many organizations. Those that are very fixed in their ways are going to suffer and those that are more nimble are going to benefit. How would you suggest baking and snack companies kind of gain clarity? What goes into that? I think that, you know, what I would be doing is I would be thinking about, you know, we, we do have challenges today of, you know, sustainability, but also obesity and, and malnutrition and hunger. And so I would be thinking about, well, what would a future look like in which snacking was part of the solution instead of part of the problem? What would that world look like? And, you know, would it be, you know, healthy portions? Would it be healthier foods? Would it be? And so my guess is that you would begin to imagine like a whole um, menu 
of snacks that are contributing to that future. And that would begin to say, oh, well, you know, that could be an entire new product category. And so by sort of going out into the future and thinking about, you know, what a future in which, you know, snacking is well and good, but I I force for good in both people's lives and for the planet, uh, you know, that would give you a vision, you know, of where you want to go as an industry. And with that, you would begin to think about, well, how does our industry need to change today so that it reflects our future vision? So how do you think big companies like wholesale bakeries and snack manufacturers can adapt to all of this, all the um, the sustainability, the signals that you're seeing to remain relevant in the future food system? I think, you know, many of these companies, you know, feel like they're <laughs> under attack by some of the public that, you know, there's often this feeling that, you know, big companies are not very good at innovation. And all of the innovation is coming from these little startups. And, you know, frankly, I don't think that's true. You know, I've worked with many large brands and they're doing amazing things in terms of research. But I think what they're missing is that consumers really don't want innovation to come from big food companies because innovation is change. Change is scary. And so if I'm going to try something new, I want to know that I trust the company that's selling it to me. And it's easier to look in the eyes of the founder of a small food company and know that they share your values than to look in the eyes of a company with 100,000 employees and know that each of them share your values. And now that doesn't mean you can't do innovation, but what it means is that innovation is not part of the brand essence that the consumer associates with those companies. And so an example of that would be you know, back in 1985, when Coca-Cola came out with New Coke, well, that was an innovative product. But that's totally off-brand for Coca-Cola. And that's, of course, why consumers reacted, you know, with horror to the idea that something that meant comfort was changing. Now, last year, they reintroduced New Coke as a tie-in to the Stranger Things television show, and people were fighting to get a can of New Coke. And they were doing it because it was nostalgic. It reminded them of their childhood. So people that would not have tried the product in 1985 were fighting to get it, you know, in 2019. And because it was totally on brand. And so, you know, it's okay to be innovative. It's just that when you're Coca-Cola, you don't market yourself as innovative. You market yourself as a company that, you know, has a hundred year history of bringing amazing new flavors to, you know, the consumer. Well, that's innovation, but you just don't call it that. You mentioned earlier, as a food futurist, you look more for signals instead of the next big thing. What what are some of those signals you see right now? Well, you know, I, I certainly think that, you know, they're the all uh, you know, plant-based foods have, you know, gone well beyond signals. Uh, but there are, you know, subsets of that that I think are beginning to to emerge you know the the idea that we can have you know 15 different plant-based burgers you know i, I feel like that's unrealistic <laughs> you know we don't right. need a grocery store shelves filled with dozens and dozens of those but the technologies that are being created will allow us to actually have lots of different products that we haven't yet imagined and so a lot of the technology companies that people are following today will probably be remembered not because of the 
the main focus of the company, but because it actually spun off all sorts of new ideas. And I'll give you one example. The, you know, there's this huge interest in vertical farms today. And one of the challenges of vertical farms is that you know, you're replacing sunlight with artificial light. So you're taking something that was free, energy, and turning it into the cost driver of your entire business. And so, you know, no matter how you how much you drive down the cost of your lighting, it will never be cheaper than free. And so, so that that's just always going to be a problem. But because of the types of, you know, nutrient systems and lighting and watering and all of the things that they're developing in order to drive efficiency in the vertical farm, well that's going to be a huge boon for the greenhouse industry. Because they're going to be able to take all of that and leverage free sunlight. And now they're just going to add lighting at night. And, you know, they're, so, you know, I, I see that there are probably a lot of businesses that will be created out of that effort. And, you know, maybe it will be successful, you know, in cities, but, you know, it's probably not going to be feeding the world. Um, but it could lend to technologies that ultimately have even bigger impact than the one that people are looking at today. Jack, as we're wrapping up our conversation, I was just curious, as you look at the sustainability issue, what do you think are like the top three aspects of sustainability that you think are kind of the most important right now? I mean, for me, it's the, the most important is the disconnect between consumers and companies about local versus global sustainability. Because if consumers don't understand the importance of global sustainability, they could drive industry in a direction that ultimately undermines global sustainability. And we, we actually see this playing out today in Europe uh, with their farm-to-fork strategy. You know, Europe is uh, pushing for 25% of the agricultural land be devoted to organic production in just 10 years. Well, based on their own assessments, that means they're going to produce about 8% less food. And the country that sends the most food to Europe is Brazil. And Brazil's the number one deforester in the world. So, you know, if you export your environmental footprint to someplace else, you have no way of knowing if they're going to do a better or worse job than you would have done yourself. And so finding a way to communicate, you know, the the balance between local and global, I see as sort of the, the biggest challenge because if we don't get it right, we're just going to end up pushing industry in the wrong direction. Definitely. And industry is going to have the biggest impact on whether sustainability is effective or not. Absolutely. Well, Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. This conversation has been very enlightening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Since Sliced Bread. If you'd like to join the conversation, leave us a voicemail at 816-968-7772. Or you can record a message using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and email it to podcast at sosland.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Since Sliced Bread on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and drop us a review. Since Sliced Bread is a baking and snack podcast produced by Anna Weiber and Taryn Parker and hosted by Charlotte Atchley.